Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 28. We have the ever popular skill of cleaning, the thing that everyone loves doing. Tanda, what skill class is cleaning? Cleaning is a skill class two. Two. Yeah, that sounds about right. Pretty much anybody can clean. There's only a couple things you got to know, like don't don't drink the cleaner. You're not supposed to no. drink the cleaner. No, Tanda, you're not supposed to drink it. Oh man, not recommended. Don't lick it either. Not even a little. Not not even a little. No, no, that's a, that's bad. That's very bad. Unless it's like that organic cleaner, like you're cleaning with like you know lemon juice or or uh, you know vinegar or something like that. Then you could probably lick it and be okay. But all the other stuff is that's bad. Oh. Very bad. Okay. Uh, Tom, what kind of research yeah. didn't you do uh, for about cleaning? Real quick, I'm cringing with what you guys just said because my wife is a toxicologist and she does cleaning products for a living. She she uh, makes sure they're safe for people and that includes packaging and formulations and ingredients. And I hope she doesn't listen to what you guys were just talking about. So I can lick them. Because Tom's wife is out there keeping me safe. No, you cannot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait a minute. Mrs. Tom is licking stuff for us? Is that what's happening here? No, she's ensuring that what we what we lick is is good for us, I think. Yeah. So all of the all of the not complaints, but like incidents. Ooh, that sounds worse. Um will eventually filter back over her desk where like somebody drank it or somebody like whatevered it. And she has to like, she has to like tell legal what to say or what not to say. And then legal puts it in legalese, but you wouldn't believe the people do with products that they're not intended to do. It's insane. I believe it. I believe all that stuff, but that doesn't really get you out of not doing research, Tom. What didn't you do? I thought that would do it. Uh, I have a third-hand accounting of some history, and by third-hand, uh, I heard it on a podcast, and then I talked to myself, so that's second and third-hand there. Um, but I think it was Dr. Semmelweis, I believe he was Hungarian, because I googled it and I just read that, but he discovered bacteria, which needed to be discovered, apparently. People didn't know things were gross. Are, are you, are, this is the person that first discovered bacteria ever well right yeah i mean the first person to like look at that thing and go oh that's i'm calling that bacteria oh so when was this uh i don't know when he discovered it exactly 18 1870 uh he died in nope that's not right he died in 1865 well then he definitely didn't discover it in 1870 if he's dead Right, so between 1818 and 1865, I'm guessing. It may have been discovered on him a few years after because he... Because uh... that was his life expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Upon examination of the doctor's body, we found bacteria. Like, like Madame Curie? <laughs> it's like, um, no, but I, the story I remember is he was a doctor, and he was wondering, uh, back in that time, uh, wealthier women would have babies at home, and poorer women would have babies in the hospital, which sounds backwards, but um, that is the case. I guess they could afford to have the doctor or wet nurse and whatever. Uh, they could afford that at home and others couldn't. I think maybe you're thinking of a midwife. 
what did I say? Wet nurse? Yeah, that's a little, that's a little early, to, you know, to have a wet nurse. I'm gonna have to Google, <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google what a wet nurse is now because I guess I don't know. Uh, it's the opposite <laughs> of a dry nurse, Tom. Come on, let's let's get moving here. Oh, clearly. So he was wondering why the mortality rate of mothers was so high, and really, long story short, he had doctors start to wash their hands before they delivered a baby. That simple. Because the same doctors were doing work in the morgue with 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 dead people and then going up and delivering in the same breath. And he just had them wash their hands. And the rate, I, I, I'm going to make this up, but the death rate went from like something crazy like 30% down to like 3%. It was absurd. And uh, that's why you should wash your hands. It's no joke. Mm-hmm. Well, that that actually almost seems like real research, uh, Tanda. Almost. Almost, yeah. Well, it, it was it was Tom's day to do some sort of almost real research, and so I I haven't done any I haven't done any research. I was going to make something up about maybe Cronesians making their own cleaning fluid out of bear scat and river water, but <laughs> I, Cronesians. Yeah, I mean I don't want people like actually looking it up. Oh, oh, I see. So hopefully there aren't. Tom, can you Google Cronesians and see if they actually, if there's anything out there that, because uh, if not, I'll have to change it to something else. Cronesians. Aren't, aren't they the people that make the blinds, the Cronesian blinds? I got Corinthians. I don't know how to spell Cronesians. Well, that's perfect. So I'm going with Cronesians. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not going to tell you how to spell it. Because that just makes the whole thing break apart even more so. And I'm not, you know, telling you what raccoon scat is either. But, I mean, I, I think you know. All right. Okay. You're going to have to edit out my laughter. So they, they cleaned all their cleaned all their tools with that. And uh, and apparently it worked really well. So Those Cornesians were an industrial folk. And apparently they were overrun with bears and raccoons. So that's, uh, all right, let's, uh, moving on. What I found out, uh, I, of course, you know me, I looked up cleaning superstitions. And weirdly enough, I found some, and they were terrible. So I just ignored them. Like, by terrible, I mean, like, I read them, and I'm like, these are the most boring superstitions I've ever read. I'm not reading them. I'm not telling anybody these things. So what I did find, which I thought was kind of interesting, is where spring cleaning originated from. Hmm. Back when... Did you have something, Tom? I looked that up too, actually, but it was a really bad blog post and I didn't go with it. I thought cleaning superstitions were going to be like, you know, superstitions that you had to kind of clean up. Like, don't ever put scissors in your... Oh, we're going to have to clean that up. No. Okay. Getting back to the spring cleaning. All right. Uh, In the United States, back in the, you know, the old ye olden days when uh, the houses were pretty much all log cabins... When the winter was coming on, uh, what people would do is they would cover the cabins with mud and clay um, on the outside and the inside to insulate the log cabins so that, you know, they didn't freeze to death during the winter. And, you know, while you're, you're, you're staying inside in the winter to, to live, everything would get dirty. And so as springtime rolled around and you didn't need the insulation— they would clean the inside and the outside of the house to get all the mud and clay off 
and also get all of the accumulated dirt out of the cabin. And that's why we have spring cleaning every spring. And that's it. Is that called chinking? What? Chinking. I knew someone who did that for custom log cabins, basically filling in all of the little, you know, cracks and crevices and stuff. And I think it's called chinking. I'm I'm pretty sure that filling in cracks is what Johns do with prostitutes, but I I don't don't know how that relates to log cabins. I'm not going to touch that. (laughs) It's a real thing. I Googled it. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Well, the junk gods continue to be very, very happy with me and Tom because we both got stuff. Tom, what did you get this week? Uh, Actually, I just thought of another deal I got this week. My deals have been blending together, and they're coming in so fast, I don't even have time to, like, put them in my garage. I went to pick up my Surface Grinder, which I bought, like, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I fully intended to buy more things when I went there, and I did. I bought a whole set of R8 collets for my mill. I bought a Surface Plate. Uh, 18 by 12 by 4 inches thick. It's just a hunk of granite for measuring really flat stuff. With the first surface plate, I got a height gauge. It's a Mitutoyo dial indicator height gauge, but it also has those, like, uh, what are those? What are those? Um, Nipples? Why are you making those kind of hand motions? No, dials. Uh, oh, dials. I'm, I'm, I'm spinning sorry. dials. Yeah, I'm spinning dials with my thumb and my forefinger. The same hand motion, um, yeah. And then I happened to do it with both hands for no apparent reason. And, <laughs> yep, just giving everybody a visual. <laughs> uh, what are those? The the It's like rows of numbers and they roll around like um like a padlock almost. Yeah. And you can hit a button and it resets them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what that's called. Like like an odometer. Yeah. Yeah. Like an old odometer. Odometers are digital today. Are you thinking like a, like a vernier, vernier? No, not vernier. But a uh, really nice Mitutoyu dial, uh, height gauge thing. And um, I bought a bunch of other stuff. I can't remember. Uh, a coolant pump for a mill or my surface grinder. Uh, it's like, um, it's probably like four gallons, five gallons of coolant. Or I'm sorry, the box is about four or five gallons. There's a motor involved and things like that. I also got two dividing heads. One of which is probably not something I can use because it uses really specified collets. And the collets are like, $600 for a dozen because they're extinct. But the other one looks more reasonable and it actually accepts my chucks from my lathe. So I can take, I can turn a part on my lathe, take the chuck off with the part in it, put it on the dividing head and do some other operations on it. I also got a demagnetizer. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little box with a metal top plate thing stainless and you can wave a piece of metal over it and it will demagnetize it which is way harder to do than magnetizing something don't put your phone on that yeah well as long as it's not plugged in right don't put your phone on that i kind of want to put a phone on it now do you have a magnetic chuck for your surface grinder i do oh that's why Oh, so after I use, so the magnetic chuck holds the work and then the work can become magnetized and then you wave it over the demagnetizer and it, and it's all good. That's one of the uses for it. I think that's typical. That's probably the use I'll use. Interesting. What if I put the demagnetizer on the magnetic chuck? Who wins? Then they just go away. They'll vanish. Oh, all right. 
That's a good tip. I won't do that. It creates a magnetic paradox, Tom, and then all life on Earth ends. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I might have gotten one or two more other things, maybe a little, some little dial indicators and a uh, chamfering tool, and there was something else there. Maybe I'll think of it later. That was a good deal. I bought a lot of... I spent $400 more with that guy. I then today sold one of the tools I got from him originally, which is a one-horsepower bench bench uh bench top grinder uh turns out it's like a 1935 black and decker and the lights that were attached to it were actually from a walker turner um grinder so i sold that for i'm calling that 200 bucks i sold a few things and he bought one of my 1946 delta bandsaws wood bandsaw for 600 or for 400 dollars 600 total he also i let go i don't think you guys know this i let him buy my 1946 Delta bandsaw with the metal cutting gearbox. <sighs> what? I know. I know. How I could know. you let that happen, Tom? $700. He paid 700 bucks? Yup. Well, that's a good price. That's a good reason to sell it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sad to let those go, but good news. Uh, I told this out of order on purpose. Yesterday, I bought a Jet 18-inch bandsaw for... $1,150. Why? A jet bandsaw? Yeah. What do you mean, why? Just, just, why, 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 why didn't you get into the Delta? Oh, I will. But, uh, these eight, a jet 18 inch bandsaw is 200 and, or $2,250 brand new. So this was right around half price. And I've wanted a bigger bandsaw and I have wanted to, not have two bandsaws for space reasons, especially because I have two mills at the moment and it's getting ridiculous in my garage. And two table saws. And two table saws. Oh, See a trend. Yeah, I'm. You need another surface grinder. I, I do need another. I have th- well, hold on, I'm going to break the rules. I have three lathes, technically. Uh, well, I have four lathes. Oh, then you need to give one to PJ. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have been asking for a lathe, Tom. I mean, I don't know how many times I've got to bring this up. You know, you're supposed to be finding me a lathe. You know, it's a. I mean, as far as as far as bandsaws go, if you're going to get this is a newer bandsaw, I take it, right? The Jet. Uh, I mean, it's probably ten years old, but yeah. Yeah. It's okay. New. So it's it's newer. It's not. It's it's newer than fifty years old. So that's that's where we're getting. Of course. At. I mean, seventy. Um, Jet is not a bad brand as far as like the present day versions of Jet. Um, I they're they're definitely better than Grizzlies, who I absolutely hate. And and I've had uh, funny since I brought up Grizzly, um, I've been talking to uh, Ben at Ben Makes KC uh, about the Grizzly stuff because he keeps running across it too. And his new job, they have a Grizzly bandsaw there, and. I, we had a long discussion about how they're they're just not well made, and he said that they had to do some maintenance on it and change the blade out today. And he said that he was investigating it, and he's like, "Man, you're absolutely right. These things are not well made at all." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's that." But yet people keep buying them. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have I haven't found anything bad as far as the jets go. They seem to be still pretty good. Well, a while back, over a year ago, probably two or two and a half years ago, I bought a 16 inch jet it's a it looks exactly like my 18 only slightly smaller i list i think i paid i think i paid 600 dollars, which was a really good deal Mm -hmm. and i listed it and sold it like within a week for i think 1050 
if memory serves me right. So I flipped flipped it and and you know I made four hundred four hundred fifty dollars, and I regretted it. I want I've wanted a bigger bandsaw. I've wanted to be able to do more resawing, uh, or resawing at all. Like the fourteen inch deltas, they do it and it's okay, but it's not something I want to do. Like it's a chore. And this thing takes a one inch blade. It's just, it's, it's so big and powerful. It's awesome. So I can't wait to get into that. But those are my deals. All right, well, those are good deals. A couple of, couple of surprise nuggets in there for sure. What do you got, PJ? I'm going to start mine off with um, an honorable mention. Uh, this wasn't so much a deal as it was uh, something that I got. Uh, and this came from, this is, this is the, the Victory Vintage Tools Surprise. My buddy Matt Brawley sent me a gift box in the mail. You know, he knows that I love, you know, he, he too has the old tool sickness. So he sent me three items. The first thing was a 1950s era uh, all-metal body quarter-inch drill, electric hand drill, with a heavy-duty cord and absolutely no badging. So I don't have any idea what brand it is. I haven't been able to identify it based on the style, but the cord is way thicker than any of the other normal quarter quarter chuck drills that I have, and I have quite a number of them. I have a 55-gallon drum. I have two 55-gallon drums full of these. So the other thing he sent me was a 1969 Craftsman Auto Scroller. That's a half horsepower, and unlike mine, which I, apparently I thought was older, but I guess mine is from the 70s. This one has a light on it, so as soon as you pull the trigger, it a light turns on, and it still works. And I was like, ooh, I'm keeping this. Uh, and then the third thing, which was the thing that he really wanted me to have, was a Thor 3 8 inch chuck copper line heavy-duty drill that was a whopping 200, um, I'm sorry, 420 RPMs with like a 10-foot cord. I have a quick question. I used to have an auto-scroller, I believe. What is auto about an auto scroller i don't know why they called it an auto scroller other than oh. the fact that so you nothing know, it i guess uh, if you think about a, a regular scroll saw that also would be an auto scroller i would think but um the on on auto scrollers you can unlock the blade and you can turn it in 360 degrees you know we've talked about this before yeah maybe it's just because it's a machine instead of a scroll saw oh maybe it's just it's an automatic scroll saw Interesting. Well, it's a jigsaw. Right. Yeah. Really? It's a jigsaw. Okay. All right. It is cool, though, because it's got that knob on top, which isn't just a handle, but you can turn that. Uh, this is not for you, obviously. You know this. But you can turn that, and the blade turns, which is really neat. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I use it for the most, which um, I don't think most people realize. Whenever you're cutting something with a jigsaw, um, nine times out of ten, you're cutting something off. Sometimes you're cutting a hole in something, but but if you're cutting something off... That means that one side of the thing is going to be unsupported, okay? So if you turn the auto-scroller 90 degrees so that it's basically sideways, but you keep the blade straight, the, the entire foot of the saw stays supported, and it cuts a straight line. That's pretty smart, actually. And you can't do that with a circular saw or any other, any other saw. So that's why I love them. They're, they're fantastic. I like it because you can, if you're, if you are cutting a circle or something, you can, you can grab that knob and kind of run it around the circle and not, if it's a plug-in variety, which my old one is, mm -hmm. um, then the cord's not 
getting all tangled up in everything and hanging off the side and getting caught, which is nice. That's very true. You don't twist up the cord like you do with all yeah. the other ones. That's very true. Uh, so this was this was a week for Thor's, let me tell you, because my next deal was called Thorthime or Thor Time. <laughs> Caught this ad on Facebook Marketplace from an old fellow named Bill who has been a butcher for 58 years. And uh, I caught the listing at 46 minutes, but somebody else was ahead of me. And this was for a Thor bench grinder. Well, the first guy never showed up. So he's like, hey, guy didn't come. And he was asking 35 bucks for the Thor bench grinder. And I said, hey, would you take 25? And since the other guy didn't show up, I ended up getting it. And then I picked up a couple other things for a total of 60 bucks. I got a six inch Thor bench grinder that's a third horsepower, uh, which had everything on it with the exception of um, the guards that, you know, the face shields, which uh, him and I were looking at and we think that they were never put on. It might have been like an option because they were supposed to be lighted. If you looked in the back, there were three holes for cords. And so one had the power cord going in and then there was two holes for light cords, but there was nothing there. So we're, we're guessing that that was never put on. Then I picked up uh, three electric hedge trimmers, uh, one Distant and two Black & Deckers. Uh, there was a, I was thinking about um, Laura Kampf and uh, her, when she turned a little travel iron into a branding iron. And so he had these tiny little vintage travel irons that still had the cloth cord. So I got one of those and it's probably about maybe, I don't know, two, maybe three inches tops. And it was heavy. Uh, then uh, who is, are you guys a fan of those little nesting screwdrivers where it's got like three screwdrivers in one, the old metal ones, where they just screw into one another? Oh, I've never seen that. I've seen, I've seen the ones where the top screws off, but you're talking about one that... So these, okay, I thought everybody knew about these. So um, imagine a brass-handled screwdriver that's uh, probably nickel-plated originally. Mine was wearing off, but they're about maybe, mm, let's say six, seven inches tops. And you unscrew the back, and then inside is a smaller headed screwdriver. They're all slotted. They're all flatheads. And then you take that screwdriver out, and then you unscrew the back of that one, and then an even smaller one comes out. And typically, there's either three or four of these screwdrivers all nested together. And this was like, you know, the, the original, like, multi-tool back in the day when you needed multiple-sized slotted screwdrivers. And... This guy had a box of like 800 screwdrivers, and I just happened to notice this was sitting on top. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got one of these. And I unscrewed it, and the cap sprung off. It was spring-loaded, and it surprised me. And he apparently didn't know that either. And I'm like, I've never seen a spring-loaded one before. And he's like, oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> so he's like, hey, if you want that, you could just have it. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. So he just gave it to me. Maybe, oh, maybe you cool. found the only one that still has the spring on the top. All the others that you've ever seen, somebody opened it up and the spring shot out. No, no, no. The <laughs> the the screwdrivers were not nested. Like they they fit inside one another, but there was no threading. So this this design, this company, they just put them in there with a spring to, I guess, prevent them from jiggling around. Mm. Um, the other ones literally screwed one into the other into the other so that they couldn't move. So gotcha. I guess it wouldn't make a jiggling noise or, or whatever. But but anyway, he just gave it to me. And I was like, oh, that was that was really cool. Thanks, man. And, um, and then uh, the last thing I picked up from him was he had two 
vintage, let's say, F-style clamps. I don't know if they're actually F-clamps. But uh, one of them had uh, a, I don't know, it's, it's, I guess it's like a cantilever mechanism uh, where it sort of levered up um, in order to, to close, and then it pushes out like this little piston, and that's how it locked. And then the other one was like sort of a normal one where it, it, it had a threaded part that you twisted in order to tighten it. Um, one was an I-beam design. It had like the cross section was an I, but then the other one was just metal stock, but it was like, I don't know, over a quarter of an inch. Like it was, it was like thick, thick metal. And, hmm. and I, I, like, he had a, a newer one there and I was talking to him and I showed it and I picked up the other one and the other one was like, I don't know, like a sixteenth of an inch. Like it was so thin, it was ridiculous. So anyway, I got that. And next uh, Saturday, I decided to go on. A, this is this is a funny story. So I, I've talked about my friend Kyle um, numerous times on here. He's he's kind of the only person that's local to me that's into the making, and he's been telling me about this guy named Bill who he's been getting all these deals from. And it started with, he got an 18 inch bandsaw that was like all cast iron from this guy for 50 bucks uh, about two months ago. He's been getting, like he got like a giant stroke sander from him that was like, I don't know, like 12 feet long and all these, he's been getting all these tools. And he's like, hey man, Saturday I'm going to Bill's. You should come. He's got lots of tools. I bet you could find something. And we're going to Allentown, which, you know, I don't normally go to Allentown. It's about an hour away. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And on the way, uh, we decided to stop. Um, I had set up this deal, and I, I kind of brought Kyle in on it, uh, which I'm going to call the Rub-A-Dub-Tub. Uh, if you guys are familiar with commercial-grade dish tubs that you would see in restaurants where they come, you know, they mm -hmm. come and bust your table and they put all the dishes in. Well, this lady, was she had 3,000 of them, and she was selling them for 5 bucks a pop. So Kyle and I went down there, and I got six, and he got ten. And I'm going to use them for when I disassemble things. I'm going to disassemble them in the tub. They're basically like, I think they're about um, 14 by 17, and they're five inches deep. So they're not terribly big, but they're big enough to disassemble a tool or to move parts around. That would be the sort of thing that if you could get a bunch of them like that, inexpensive, that you could build a shelving unit. It'd make it worthwhile to build a shelving unit or a, or a bench that just holds them. So you have, you know, maybe 10 or 20 of them as shelves or drawers. Yeah. I thought about that too. Um, unfortunately, I don't have room for that. So that might be something in the future mm -hmm. that I could do and I could just get more. But um, these things, they're, they don't have a huge footprint, but they do take up space and I can't just like store them. So I only bought what I needed. But they have a big lip. Yeah, they got a big lip on them, that, and they nest together. That you could actually slide in and nest them. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. cool. I really like them. So I'm very, very sad. I, originally, I told her four, but then I took six. So I was happy with that. So anyway, then we're on our way to Bill's. And so we're driving there and driving there. And then Kyle pulls into this. this it's not even a parking lot. It's like a dirt space in between a building and a paved parking lot. And immediately my, my reaction is, wait a minute, this is where we're going? And he says, yeah. And I said, I've been here before. <laughs> and he says, what are you talking about? And I said, man, I was here two years ago. I had this huge haul. I picked up a giant, I picked up two dust collection systems. 
I said, I came here for an auction, but it ended up being online. And then I went back out to my car and I bid on stuff from my phone. And then when I was done, I went in with cash and I picked up all the stuff. I, I, I sort of mentioned this, Tom, but I guess you didn't see it. The dust collector that I brought to Tony Slip and Slide came from this place. Oh, my gosh. This is, <laughs> this is the place, right? And I, I looked it up. I was there in April of 2019. So this is exactly two years ago that I was at this place. Yeah. And so... um. He's been telling me all the time about this guy, and I had no idea that that's who he was talking about. You know, So I'm like, okay. So we go inside, and when I had been there before, he was selling the building off, and he was trying to clear things out. And so now it looks like he's at the end of that grace period where they've bought the building, and he's got to get things out of there. And so we walk in, and we're like, Kyle already had set up some deals with him. He was buying a bunch of wood and stuff, but I'm trying to like, buy tools. And so I'm like, uh, what, you know, Bill, what are you selling? And he's like, oh, I got this, uh, <clears throat> I got this 30 inch Oliver bandsaw here, you know, and, uh, the, you know, the motor's not that good, but I'm, I'm selling that. I'm like, oh, really? How much are you selling that for? $1,200. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to pass on that. Um, and then, then he's basically, he walked around and said, you can't have that. You can't have that. And he's telling me everything I can't have. I'm like, well, what is for sale? So then he'd pick something out and it would be like $800. It was like nothing was a deal. And then I told him, I'm like, well, I'm looking for, you know, an inexpensive torch set. Do you have any cheap torch sets? And he's like, oh, I've got something for you. I've got something. This is, this is exactly what you need. And he digs into this drawer and he pulls out like one of those blow molded suitcases. It's, it's, it's not too big. You know, it's like the size for like a, like a drill driver set. And he opens it up and inside there is this like pistol style torch grip. And then it's got all these attachments that you can put on it. And um, like he said, you could even use it for like uh, almost like plasma cutting. It had like this weird, had all these weird attachments and everything. And he he called it some name I can't even repeat. It was like a whistle mazer or something like, I, I can't remember the name. And I'm like, okay, well, I said, I was looking for like a whole set, but I mean, I, this this seems kind of cool. You know, what, what do you want for it? And he goes, hundred bucks. And without like, with split second later, I'm like, yeah, that's not happening, Bill. <laughs> I didn't even miss a beat. And he's like, he's like, this is worth like $700. And I'm like, yeah, that that's nice. But I want to pay like a hundred bucks for like a full tank kit with the regulators and everything. I can't, I can't buy just this thing for a hundred bucks. I don't, and I told him, I told him ahead of time, I'm like, look, I don't weld. I just need something to braise with. I'm not a welder. This is like, I'm going to use this twice a year. I can't be sinking all this money into it. So, so anyway, um, I left with, with nothing from Bill. And on the way home, if you guys caught my stories, uh, we saw a dumpster and that was sort of like by itself in a parking lot for a mall, a strip mall. So I had Kyle pull over. I'm like, come on, man, we got to go dumpster diving. And this was not one of the little ones. This was like a 12-foot-tall dumpster that was like the size of a city bus. It was gigantic. And for some reason, they didn't lock it. And so we just we opened it up and looked inside, and there was lots of garbage, of course. But I ended up walking away with probably, um, we think, somewhere around $600 in vent insulation. Hmm. for you know for heating and cooling vents and it was brand new they i guess they'd ordered x amount and whatever they put in they put in and then this went in the dumpster that's going to insulate my japanese tea house shed so 
that was a nice find. Nice. Uh, I picked up probably about a hundred. Um, you know those thin plastic planters for when you get like a starter plant, you're trying to grow something that are like thin plastic. Picked up about a hundred of those, all different sizes. Um, picked up a cut extension cord, which I could use just for the wiring, and a, a few other little knickknacks here and there. But anyway, that was that was that trip. And then the last thing just happened yesterday, uh, which we're going to call um, the double deal delivery. So while uh, Kyle and I were driving to Bill's, I saw this ad for toe straps, like the kind of straps you would use for picking up heavy machinery. And since I now own a heavy machine, I thought I should probably get some of these. So in case, you know, I need to pick up something heavy. And this guy had a set of four for $35. And one of them was a I think one of them was a one foot, one was a three foot, and the other two were bigger. And so 35 bucks, I said, hey, would you take 25? And he's like, well, somebody else beat you to it. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, but hey, I got other stuff for sale. You know, are you interested in other tools? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm interested in tools. And it turned out that he had two electric hedge trimmers. And I'm like, all right, well, how much for the hedge trimmers? He goes, seven bucks a piece. And I'm like, done. Yeah, I'll take them. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to be at the place, you know, in 30 minutes. Can you come and get them? And I said, well, no, I'm going the opposite direction right now. I had to Allentown. So we're going to do, do this another day. So then that was Saturday. Sunday morning, he sends me a message and he goes, hey, man, the guy never came to get those toe straps. Do you want them? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, I'm going to be passing through your town. Uh, do you want me to just bring everything to your house? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I want you to bring everything nice. to my house. <laughs> so um, he shows up, and I look at the hedge trimmers. They look fine. But then he, he opens up the trunk, and he's showing me um, the straps, and they all look big. And I'm like, wasn't there a, a three-foot strap or a smaller strap or something? These all look pretty big. And he goes, well, right after I got off the phone with you, the guy that didn't show up texted me, and then he came and got the two small ones. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, all right. I said, so what's in here? And, uh, and he goes, well, this is a six foot. There's two eight foots and there's a 10 foot. He says, they're all brand new. And he showed me, and they had this, I haven't seen this before on toe straps, but these had a sewn in leather label that was like 10 inches long. And it had diagrams on how to use the straps. And it told you like how much weight for each configuration it could hold. Like one thing was like 14,000 pounds. The other was like 9,000 pounds. I'm like, oh man, this is pretty cool. And so, um, I'm like, well, all right, so so are, are we doing all all four of these for 25? And he goes, oh no no no, these these are these are bigger. So the the six foot is eight dollars, and then the other three are ten dollars. And so um, I said, okay, well, I definitely want the six foot. So with the with the two trimmers, that brings it up to 22 bucks. So if I had picked one other one, it would have been 32. So I said, how about this, man? I'll take the small one. You pick one of the other ones that's left over, and we do the whole thing for 30. How's that sound? And he goes, yeah, that sounds good. Here, you can have the 10 foot. I'm going to keep the two pairs of eights together. And then that was it. I gave him 30 bucks and he left. So that was the extent of my deals. Good deal. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right, Tanda, what is your personal history with cleaning? I, I'm pretty grungy. I don't. I don't really have a personal history with cleaning. I, I mean, that's pretty obvious to me and Tom, but everybody else can't see you. 
Well, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if we I mean, I we had tractors and machines and stuff growing up, but I don't really remember like any particular special special sauce or ways that we, you know, clean stuff. It was just elbow grease and, you know, if it was like kind of a vinegar solution or something simple for cleaning up machinery and 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 I don't even remember buying like degreaser or brake cleaning fluid or anything like that. It was always just, you know, something something simple that we had around that we used for cleaning up machinery and 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 cleaning up Did it happen to be skeet of some kind? Uh yeah, yeah. We had found this this old uh Cronesian recipe that had been passed mm. down for mm-hmm. generations. And and we had neither bear or raccoon scat, but we had an old dog, and so we we just used that, and uh, and we did live near a river, so we we tried it, and uh, it didn't it didn't work well at all. Was it was it a river dog? We we had to we had to clean up the cleaning stuff. It was it was a mess, and it what, smelled what, bad. Was it a river dog? What was the significance of the river? Oh no, the river water is what you mixed with the. You know, with whatever kind of scat you can find. Oh, you can't use yeah. regular water. It's got to be river water. Yeah, no, it has to. It has to be river water. I think it has something to do with the fish. No, no, okay. I'm not. I'm not going to go after that. All right. So, um, w- w- okay. So, you you didn't. Um, you're not still cleaning stuff with scat now, are you? Oh no, no. That was a horrible experience. So, uh, yeah. So these days, um, one of the one of the cleaning things I have, and I got this at an auction is this citrus cleaner that's kind of a, I don't know, it's some kind of spray cleaner that's a citrus-based solution. And it's like an industrial goo gone. Mm-hmm. And it will clean off any kind of sticky, adhesive, grimy stuff. It just dissolves it. And, you know, it says like, do not smell using in well ventilated areas. I don't know what it is. It's called like uh, sixty forty or something, and uh, and it's uh, I got a case of it at an auction, and I've been using it now for like I don't know ten years. I had so many cans of it, and they're big tall cans that I'm going to be sad when it runs out because I don't even know if you can get it anymore. But it was something that I bought at an auction. And, you know, I bought like a can. I bid on a, on a couple cans of it or it was on a shelf with some other stuff that I was bidding on. And then the auctioneer was like, oh, no, those were just to show what it was. Here, here's this case underneath <laughs> of it. And it was like 24 cans uh, of this cleaner. Wow. And, and it works really well. That's a bonus. And I use it for, you know, all kinds of cleaning, cleaning stuff. So that, that's all you use to clean everything? Well, no, I, I, when I clean the dog, I just use water. She doesn't like the citrus stuff. That's for the best. The funniest thing about the citrus thing is it says it on the, on the front, on the same can, one of the bullet points is, um, pleasant citrus smell. And like down below the bullet points, do not inhale. (laughs) <laughs> use in of a well course. ventilated area you yeah know, it's like that's this awesome. this stuff smells great but don't but don't be smelling it yeah that's yeah. that's typical 
I, I, it's escaping me at the moment, but there was, I just saw a meme that said something like that. It was advertising something and it was like, tastes delicious, do not eat. I can't remember what it was, but I, I saw it somewhere. Right. Yeah. Lemon flavored poison. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tom? What's your personal history with cleaning? I think my earliest memory is using those Brillo pads with like the soap infused in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still sell them. Yeah, yeah, the pink, uh, the pink soap and the Brillo pad. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't remember this story perfectly because I was like four, but we got a bike. I don't remember if we found this bike or my parents dragged it home from somewhere, but it was a very used bike, and it was rusty and dirty and whatever. And my brother and I used these Brillo pads to clean this bike, and then we spray painted it. Man, I this is before I learned how to ride a bike, and I learned how to ride a bike pretty early. Because I don't remember it that well. So I was four or five. And I just, I remember, I still remember like having this thing in my hand and scrubbing the crossbar. Like it's a vivid memory. It's mm. so odd how you remember certain things. My, my friend Sonia and I used to clean, used to wash our bikes. And we would just, it, it was like an event. It would be like, do you want to come over? We'll wash our bikes. <laughs> and and we would just get a little bit of like laundry detergent and put it in a bucket and, you know, and... Uh, and then scrub our bikes down. And there's not much on a bike to wash. I love it. But we would wash and, and wax our bikes, you know. And so we'd put wax on them and then, you know, buff them up. And, yeah, kind of silly. That's awesome. No, I love it. I love it. I try to get my son to wash his bike. He won't do it. Uh, I gave him the WD-40 can, and he had a little fun with that, spraying the chain. But that's about it. Uh, other cleaning, I mean, I've been doing a lot of machine stuff lately. I've always kind of done it, um, you know, for years. I will say, I think my favorite cleaning item has got to be like brake cleaner, carb cleaner, brake cleaner, cleaner, kind of the same stuff because it's like this high powered can, like high pressure, way more than like a WD-40 and you just spray it where there's grease and grime and it kind of just flushes it out almost all on its own. I really like effortless things. That's kind of why I like it. And I, I have a deal that I didn't even talk about, about brake cleaner of all things. I went to the Elephant's Trunk Flea Market, which is in New Milford, Connecticut. Uh, I think it's the largest flea market in New England. It's very large. I found a guy selling brake cleaner, and I bought five cans for $11. And that stuff's like five or six bucks a can normally. These are like the big cans and, uh, you know, the normal size. They're larger than WD-40. That's what I'm getting at. I've already used a whole can of it. I mean, I just, I'm spoiled now. I'm going to have to go back and back and see how many cases he might actually have. I, I feel bad now because my discount store normally carries that, and I get it for a dollar can pretty much whenever I want. Oh, come on. Yeah. You, know, you know what's expensive really? is the, the wasp spray that shoots like 20 feet. Oh, my God. That stuff yeah. is scary. I, I went in, I was, when my dad was getting up in the years, and I went I went to live with him. Um, for a, a brief time before he passed away, we went down to the hardware store and he was like, oh, there are a bunch of wasps coming out. We should get some wasp spray. And I was like, well, it's pretty expensive and it looks like it'll do a lot. We just get one, you know, one thing. And he's like, well, but we've got a bunch of wasps down at the barn too. Let's go ahead and get three or four cans. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So I, I get out my card and I buy like four cans of wasp spray and it's like, well, where do you want to keep this? Let's, you know, we've got like little nieces and nephews and stuff running around. And he's like, well, there's a shelf up on the up on the high shelf out in the barn. And so I go out there to put it up, and there's like eight 
new things of wasp spray already already <laughs> out there. <laughs> so been stocking up for so, decades. Yeah, yeah. So later that day, we eliminated all the wasps in in the whole county. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that's that's one way to clean for sure. Is that uh, was that the end of your cleaning business, Tom? Yeah, probably. I mean, other than that, I you know I shower once a month whether I need it or not, and uh, that's about it. You use a pressure washer? I, of course. Why wouldn't I use a pressure washer? And brake brake cleaner. Don't spray that on your body, though. That's that's the easiest way to get clean, though. It, it really is. Well, um, unlike you uh, two, I don't have any cute kid stories about cleaning. Um, matter of fact, I have kind of like the opposite story. So I, I'm sure that most people have had this experience growing up where um, you have a when you're little, you know, your parents bathe you, and then uh, there comes a point where you become the bather, where you're you're supposed to be washing yourself, you know. And let's say that for me, that was somewhere around maybe six, six or seven, somewhere around there. And unfortunately, the concept of washing really wasn't well ingrained in me. I understood that I had to get in the tub, and then I had toys that floated in the tub because that was the only reason I got in was because I could play with toys in the water. And I got like, I don't, I don't think they have them anymore, but when I was a kid, they had bubblegum machines that had like these little plastic toys that were like not quite, they were maybe like almost the size of Matchbox cars. They were very cheaply made, but they floated. Some of them were boats, but a lot of them were like spaceships and other things. So I used to get in there and have like a whole armada of toys floating around the surface of the tub. Well, my mom would like run the water for me and then I'd have all the toys in there and then she'd make sure that I got in the tub and then I would get in the tub and I would just play with the toys. So I'm pretty sure that I was like unwashed from like, I don't know, age six to age 11 when I started showering. <laughs> like I never used soap or shampoo or anything. Like it was just, all I did was play with toys for like, you know, five, six years. So that's like the opposite of cleaning. Although... I'm sure some of this stuff must have come off of me in the tub because I was sitting in water. But um, you ever have one of those little uh, scuba divers or submarines that you put the little tablet in, and then no, it, it, no, it, I never had that. Legs no. moved, and but that that was something to get you in the bath. We we did have um, there was a thing if I remember correctly there was a little boat that we put. Do you remember? Do you know what Brioski Brioski is? Mm-mm. Brioski is like Alka Seltzer. But like the no name brand, um, it's it's like you put it in, you know, you put it in a thing of water and it makes all the little sizzling and then you're supposed to drink it, you know, when you've got whatever indigestion or something. And you could take the Brioski, I don't know why I can't say it, Brioski, Brioski, that's what it was called. And it, it, it didn't look like pills. It looked like little, um, it looked like bird droppings. That's that's. It, it literally looked like it was just like they pooped it out and it just dried in that particular you know thing. And it was you came in like a um, a plastic bottle, like a big, uh, I don't know, like double the size of a peanut butter jar. And anyway, you could put that in one of these little boats, and then because it was reacting to the water, it would shoot these little bubbles out the back, and then it would make the boat go. You know, so it, that was like the closest thing to what you're talking about that I had. Yeah, pretty much, mm. pretty much the same thing. Only this was like a store bought thing, and it came with, you know, the little tablets of the stuff that you'd put in there, and it, and the bubbles coming out would activate it and make it make the legs move and make it like swim across the tub. No, we didn't have anything that complicated. I had, I had a tugboat. That was it. Just a tugboat with 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 gas. 
you know, head. Anyway, <laughs> so that that was childhood. Um, moving forward, and um, I I am one of those people that I kind of clean as needed. Like if I see something's dirty, I clean it. If it doesn't look dirty, yeah, that's fine. You know, it's no problem. Yeah, I don't know what bacteria is. So, moving into the the shop, which is oddly enough where I have no problem cleaning whatsoever. I don't like cleaning in the house. Like I don't like doing dishes. I don't like doing house chores. I don't like cleaning the bathroom. But you put me in a shop with a tool that's got like 50 years of grease and dirt caked onto it. And I'm like, oh, let me get on this. For some reason, I have no problem cleaning really nasty old dirty tools. And I'm actually sort of fascinated by it because it's kind of like a challenge. But then as soon as I step inside the house, I'm like, I'm not touching anything. I barely wash my hands. You know, it's, it's, well, that's not true. I wash my hands because they're usually like pretty dirty afterwards. But anyway, I have recently been uh, investigating new methods of cleaning. And I've talked to Tom about this a little bit. I am really heavily leaning towards buying an ultrasonic cleaner. Uh, I, I explained this to Tom and he was thoroughly amazed. If you're not familiar with an ultrasonic cleaner, it is basically a stainless steel machine that's about the size, depending on what brand, what how big you're getting. Let's say an average size is about like microwave sized. And it has a heated tank that you put uh, some sort of cleaning solvent in. There's all different kinds you can use, and there, there's not one that's wrong. You can, you can use dish soap. It's not going to clean as good as ultrasonic cleaner. Um, but there's all different kinds of things you can use. And there are ultrasonic transducers, which are basically like, think of them like horns. And when you turn it on, it pulses in the tank with, uh, if you get a good one, uh, 40,000 or f yeah, 40 kilohertz of um, ultrasonic frequencies. So it vibrates the solution. And whatever you put in there, it's like getting Imagine it's just getting like uh, wire wheeled by like 40,000 little tiny wire wheels. So if you put a, a part in there that's got paint and rust and grease and tarnish on it, it will come out with none of those things on it because that's what an ultrasonic cleaner does. Now, this happens to be dependent on a lot of things. Um, it depends on the solution. Uh, it also depends on how good the ultrasonic cleaner is. So if you get a cheap one, it might not clean everything in one go. You might have to clean it in two or three goes. Um, the other thing is if you get a cheap one, it may take an hour just to get the solution up to temperature because you're supposed to clean these things with a hot solution. It cleans much better hot than it does cold. So there's all these things that I've been researching, but I am, I'm leaning very heavily towards a mid-commercial grade, probably like a 15-liter um, which should be big enough for me to put like a medium-sized vice, a bench vice, right in and just have it take off everything. Um, that's that's kind of my goal. And right now, the price range that I'm looking at on the low end is like $160, and then on the high end is $485. So there's, there's a huge swing as far as uh, quality level and what you're actually getting. And I know about ultrasonic cleaners from when I was a custom jeweler. Um, that's very, very common in the jewelry field. So there's that. That's something that I've been really digging into. But more recently, as in the last two days, 
The thing that I'm more excited about is something that pretty much everybody has access to. If you watch TV, you've seen the commercials for Dawn Power Wash. And everybody knows Dawn dishwashing stuff. They came up with this new product, I don't know how long ago, but it's basically, it looks like a normal bottle of Dawn, but it's got like this gigantic sized spray bottle nozzle on it. And when you, when you spray it, it comes out as a foam. And whatever you spray the foam on, it sticks there and it doesn't run down. Now, if you leave it on there for like 20 minutes, it'll run. But if you leave it on for 10 minutes, it'll just sit there and eat away at the grime, whatever is on there. I sprayed it on my Walker Turner 1100 drill press that's probably, you know, not been cleaned in like 60 years. And it took two sprays of this stuff and it like, I would say it cleaned off like 80, 90% of the grime that was on there. And not only that, but unlike the other things we've talked about, this actually smells nice and you're allowed to smell it because it's it's Dawn. It's, it's not some <laughs> toxic chemical. You can get it for like $5 at your grocery store. So it's, But uh, I will say it's not the same thing as regular Dawn dish detergent um, because it says right on there, do not use anything except uh, Dawn Power Wash Replacement Fluid. So you have to use the stuff that is meant for uh, it's it's uh, some kind of special formulation. But um, but it the stuff sticks on there, and um, I don't I don't know exactly how it's working, but the foam goes on white, and you can watch it turn like grayish black as it pulls all the stuff up into the bubbles. That's some cool stuff. So I, I got I've got all kinds of cleaning things that I I do, but those are the two things that I wanted to talk about. I didn't know that ultrasonic cleaners scaled up to like a fifteen liter. I mean I. I've seen some bigger ones, but most of the ones I've seen, I've got two of them and they're both little. They came from a jewelry jeweler's auction. There may be a liter or two liters. They're, they're fairly, fairly small. And one of them, when I was taking it apart to get it working, I found, I started finding little like findings in it. Mm -hmm. And I was really excited. I was going to, you know, like strike it rich, but I found like two or three little silver birds and, and some beads and, and stuff in there. Not, nothing worth worth much. But Well, uh, I was trying to research the ultrasonic cleaners and learn more, and I found a YouTube video where this guy is explaining what you should look for. And it just happened that he was representing this company that made ultrasonic cleaners. And so he's like, if you want to get one of our cleaners, which are made in the United States, go to our website, blah, blah, blah. So I go there. And I look at the smallest one he's got, and they don't have prices. You have to request a quote. So I requested a quote, and the they, they didn't contact me for like two weeks. And then um, I got a phone call that said they were following up on my inquiry. They had sent me an email and already talked to me, which none of which was true. I didn't get an email, and I didn't I had not talk to anybody. And so I call the guy back like an hour after he leaves the message, and the guy isn't there. He's gone. And I'm like, all right. So I talked to somebody else and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a quote on this 15 liter ultrasonic. And he goes, oh, we don't sell that one anymore because we had somebody else was making it and we wanted to have control over all of our stuff. So the smallest one we sell is a 30 gallon or a 30 liter, something like that. Hmm. And I'm like, all right, well, can you give me a price quote on the 30 liter? And he goes, yeah, it's $4,895. 
uh, that's not going to work for me. He goes, well, well, we make everything here in the United States. It's 100% USA made and it's top top shelf. And I'm like, man, that, that sounds fantastic. But I work out of a garage at my house and that's that's like, you know, a huge chunk of my yearly income. Uh, I can't afford that. And he goes, well, you know, our, all our parts are super high quality. I'm like, yeah, you're not hearing me, man. I'm super happy that this is being made in the United States. This is way out of my price range. I am not a business with multiple employees. I am one dude in a one-car garage, okay? Thank you for your time. Um, but just just to answer your, your question, Tanda, uh, they sold up to, I believe it was like 300-liter um, ultrasonic cleaners. Like, they're, oh, they wow. make gigantic ones. Yeah, the coils in those must be scary. Uh, there's tons yeah. and tons and tons of transducers. I did see another guy that was talking about the transducers, and he said that the typical ones that you find in low-end low end ultrasonic cleaners are round, which is why a lot of people call them horns. But in the commercial grade, I think he called them radial transducers. He said that they're like a bar, and so that they emit the frequencies different, and it cleans better. But when you're at that range, you're looking at like the $10,000 Hmm. unit like it's it's full-on commercial grade it's probably running at you know like 220 or three phase or something like that um but i i do seem to recall somewhere along my my many travels of research i think you can get ultrasonic cleaners all the way up to big enough to put like an entire car in like they they make them whatever size you want yeah that's interesting i've just always thought of them as as something small not something that you could get at scale Tom, do you do you want to tell everybody what you found so amazing about the ultrasonic cleaner when I was talking to you about it? I didn't know they removed paint. Like I didn't, uh, I haven't Googled it yet, but I believe you. But it seems too good to be true. That's why I want one now. Forget the rust and the oxidation, which is even harder to get off. Paint. He get it gets off paint. Paint really? Paint. He just kept repeating it over and over. But really, it takes off paint. <laughs> Yeah, Tom, it takes off paint. I, like, it was hard to believe. Yeah, so but there um I haven't I haven't picked out one just yet. I'm not sure which one um I want to get. Um but yeah, this is this is this is a thing that's probably gonna happen, I would say within the next month. Um because it it'll Oh, and by the way, um while we're on the ultrasonics, if you decide that you want to buy an ultrasonic cleaner, there's lots of different solutions you can use to put in there. However, my mentor, who taught me a lot of the jewelry stuff that I know, he was constantly testing different things to put in there. And he was trying to find like the most economical solution to put in there because this stuff can be very expensive. And what he found is there's this stuff called driveway cleaner. And he said that it is super cheap. I think it's like $5 for a gallon. And he said it, it, it cleans better than anything else he'd ever used. And so I bought some. I still have it, but I never actually bought an ultrasonic cleaner back then. Um, but it, it does great. It does clean just by itself. It cleans great. But if you are going to get an ultrasonic cleaner, uh, I recommend getting some of that. It's cheap and it works really well. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. 
Are you tired of over-soaked, dirty sponges that smell funny? Well, here at Johnson's Hardware, we know your pain, and we've got just the solution for you. Introducing the Johnson's Waterproof Sponge. That's right, zero water absorption, antimicrobial, so you get zero smells, zero dirt absorption. This is just a block of sponge that pushes the dirt into a pile so you don't have to do anything else. Comes in a pack of five for only $10.99. Contact us now at patreon.com forward slash makerskills to get your waterproof sponge. Dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with cleaning? Getting dirty. I'm, I'm going to accept that, yeah. Getting dirty is a skill, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, sometimes you have to work at it, and sometimes, you know... I You know, there, there's an odd thing. One of the things I really like about working in my shop which is like kind of kind of odd but you feel like you've accomplished something if you've like been working on tearing something apart or or cleaning something an old piece of equipment and cleaning up afterwards just just being like filthy and cleaning up afterwards makes you feel like you've like a real sense of accomplishment i could sit in front of the computer and write code all day and you know i maybe i've accomplished a bunch of stuff but it just doesn't feel the same. There's no reveal. At the, at, the, at the end of the day of just going like, man, I feel like I've really worked all day. So there's just something about, uh, you know, finishing a day and just being grimy and taking a shower, cleaning up. And I don't know, there's just like this weird sense of accomplishment that comes with that, that if you worked just as hard mentally on something, um, but didn't get all grimy. It just doesn't feel like you've accomplished as much. I feel like if you were born like 150 years ago, you would have been working on one of those coal locomotives because those guys were filthy from, you know, shoveling all the coal and all the smoke and everything. Right. And you would know you, that you oh, had yeah. worked all day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or you just stood around in the coal smoke, one of the two. Tom, what skill goes well with cleaning? Uh, I think cleaning goes well with cleaning. Oh, that's a good one, Tom. Thank you. I thought so. I don't know what kind of Inception stuff you're pulling here, Tom, but that that's not going to fly. You need to pick an opposite skill or some complementary skill or some no, different no, skill no, other no, than no, the main no, skill. No. Hear me out. Nope, 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 nope. So when I do cleaning, such as cleaning a mill or <laughs> cleaning a lathe or, or, or also cleaning a lathe or, or also cleaning a lathe, there I make a mess. While cleaning, I take my gloves and I, like, every four minutes I seem to be changing out my gloves for no reason and I just throw them on the floor. All of the grease filled... Oh, I just found an ant and killed it. Maybe I didn't kill it. All the grease filled paper towels, I just throw them on the floor. I don't even put them in a garbage can while I'm working. And then you have to, like, sweep up at the end. So you have to clean up after your cleaning project. Yeah, Tom, that's still cleaning. You need a you need a different skill to go with it. Well, there's cleaning and then there's cleaning, so I think they're different. Yes, yeah, saying it in a different tone doesn't make it a different skill, Tom. Cleaning. Okay, you got to pick something else. Okay, it's like that old it's like that old Steve Martin bit. Time timing time timing 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 timing. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, um, organizing organization goes well with cleaning because sometimes you're cleaning and you're dismantling at the same time. Ooh, dismantling 
goes well with cleaning and you need to keep those parts in order or if you don't know you know that's all i got man all right. okay if if you ask me one more time to come up with something i'm going with design so it's probably best that you go you can't do design till next week don't tell me what i can't do until next week oh, i'm sorry no 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 not next week uh two weeks two weeks is the design two weeks mm-hmm. perfect i'm gonna eat my macaroon and then i'm gonna answer. macaroons <laughs> that's what that's what PJ's gonna say. You know what goes well with cleaning macaroons. Macarooning. It's nine eleven here on the East Coast, and it's snack time. My stomach gets hungry. You know, I gotta have something. Elevensies. So what's obvious to me, cleaning is perfect for restoring, restoration, because that's what I do a lot of. And in order to restore any tool, you gotta clean it because things are filthy. So, that's my answer. Well, that's true. That's boring. Sometimes when you clean things, it, it it goes the other direction, though. What direction is that? Like unrestoring. You mean you break it? Like if you like if you ever cleaned something up that was working and it was just totally grimy, and so you're like, oh man, I'm surprised this is still working. I need to clean it up, and it doesn't work afterwards. I've done that before. Yeah, I've taken apart things that were working. And then I clean them, and I put them back together, and then they just mysteriously stop working. And <laughs> yeah, I have, <laughs> like, I, have, I have I have PCs that I think uh, maybe the dust was holding them together that I've <laughs> that I've cleaned out, or I, I turned them on after working on them, and you know, a bunch of dust fogs out, and then they stop working. Have either of you taken apart an electric hedge trimmer? Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, actually. I think I have. Oh, hedge trimmer? I'm sorry, string trimmer. Okay. So Tanda knows what I'm talking about. I'm going to give everybody else a snapshot. There's basically a motor. There's possibly like a little circuit board with some components on it. And there's a trigger. And that's it. There's really nothing else in there. And is it just a motor and a little lobe that runs in a slot mm-hmm. to, to drive the bar? It's yeah. like a little cam. Yeah. So there's there's nothing really there. I, last summer took apart a hedge trimmer for the first time because I wanted to clean the blades because the blades were rusty and they were gunky. And in order to get the blades apart, you have to disassemble the entire thing, which was a huge mistake. But I did it. I cleaned them up. And by the way, this was working. This was a working hedge trimmer. I took it apart, cleaned it, put it back together. Did not touch any of the electronics. All I did was clean the blades. Plugged it in and it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, what what the heck happened? I didn't I didn't touch anything. All I did was clean the blades. Why is this not working? I'm sitting there and I'm like testing parts. I'm looking for anything. I, I even called my father. I'm like, do you have any idea why this thing would not work? I didn't even touch anything. He's like, well, did you test this? Yeah. Well, how about this? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. And so I, lo- I looked at it and I'm like, well, I guess this is going in the trash. I threw it out. I mean, literally, I had there was no reason for it to not work. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. I'd spent like five hours on it, and I'm like, I'm done, I'm done. So yeah, that I, I'm I'm right there with you, Tanda. Well, hopefully you unplugged it before you cut the cord off of it. Uh, there's no cord. Although there's just that little pigtail on all modern tools that don't they don't have a cord anymore. No, these these are the kind where it's just got the two prongs sticking out, and you plug in an extension cord. Oh, I hate that. You have to coil the extension cord around and tie it onto it or something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just mm-hmm. keeps pulling out of the 
I I have a leaf blower like that that I still use, but it's a, I get annoyed at it every time I use it. They have the little hooks now, so you can hook it in there, and it's kind of like a little friction, like a knuckle, so it doesn't unplug itself. Yeah, this one has one of those, but it uh, the little plug is uh, is kind of sloppy, mm-hmm. and so just moving it around, even with the cord strain relieved, it gets in a position where it starts kind of shorting, and it you know, and then once it starts doing that, then the connections get all you know, messed up and, and it just gets worse. Mm-hmm. I should take it up. I should take it apart and just get a cheap extension cord and wire it in directly and be done with it, which is what I've done with, which I've done with most of my, most of my tools like that. Yeah. That's what you should do, but it'll never actually happen. I'll take that as a challenge. Welcome to the simple solution. All right. As always... <laughs> We have to fix something that's wrong with Tom. It's just so funny because we we have a pre-show and we and we line out the segments that we're going to do, and even if Tom suggests the topic of the segment, <laughs> as he listens to the intro, he has this look on his face like, "What are we going to talk about?" It, like he he's like got this concentrated look on his face like, "What were we going to talk about?" And then it, and then you see the moment that it hits him when it, when it's like uh, oh yeah that's what it was I can't remember I just I just enjoy watching that so I thought I would share I would thought I would share that with people listening so they can visualize it No I really can't I really Yes yes We we are the only ones that get the benefit of seeing Tom's bizarre expressions I have no idea So oh my god Since Tom can't remember anything we're going to jog his memory Tom you suck <laughs> or rather, you have a tool. That- oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, I got it. I'm good. I got. I'm on bait. I'm on. You can just cut everything. Oh no! Up until this point, and we're then- not cutting any of it. <sighs> Clearly not. That's why I said it. All right, Tom. Do you want to tell us what the problem is now that we've told you what it is? Yeah, I forgot all about it. A uh, couple weeks ago, before people started selling things for stupid low prices, I was working on a project. And it was a vacuum clamp for your workbench. I did not discover or invent anything. I copied it. But I have some kinks that I need to work out. So should I just go ahead and describe what I've made so far? Yeah, or or tell us about, you know, what... I assume this is one of those, like, clamping systems where you can put a board on top of it. It has some kind of seal or something and you can move it around or whatever and then it holds your holds your workpiece down with vacuum yeah so this one um uh festool makes one and it's like 1200 bucks but it's basically a module that it can pivot in uh you know 180 degrees so it can hang off the edge of your workbench or flip up and be vertical you know be uh, horizontal rather and then there's a plate on top that actually is the vacuum seal so you slap your board on top of that hit your vacuum pump and it holds the board without a clamp impeding on the surface that you're trying to work. So let's say you want to route an edge, you slap the board on there, it's holding it securely. You can take your router, run it completely around all four edges of this board. And it's, it's just super convenient, really good, really good tool that I want for myself. I just, I almost talked myself into spending $1,200 on Festool, but it just isn't practical. It doesn't make any sense. 
$1,200 is better spent on an ultrasonic cleaner, Tom. Just, just to... You're right. Well, maybe I'll make one of those too. I don't know how that works. So the issue I'm having, uh, the center block that kind of holds everything and, and does all of the movement. It's just a, it's just a block of, I used a, a block of maple because it's what I had in that size. It's about three by four by three cube ish. And there is a, there's a one inch pipe going through it and coming down through it to the center. So all three sections of the pipe kind of touch each other in the middle. Like a T. Um, like a T. And uh, I cut away. You're going to have to help me describe this. I cut a mortise, kind of, out from one corner. And I put a bolt through it, which can be tightened and clamp the pipes. Okay. Was that close enough? So it's so it's like an upside down T that you can rotate the leg of the T around the around the pipe. Tom is nodding for those of you that can't see him. So you can get get some movement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I was waiting for Tanda to finish, and then I was going to say yes, Tanda. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. And uh, yeah, so then there's the, the the clamp, and the clamp does work. But it's not tight enough. The the pipes still spin with a little bit of force, especially if you put like a, you know, a one foot overhanging board, you know, the, the whole thing will move rather easily because of the leverage. So I need to clamp it better. And I'm open to using a different material, a different type of pipe, a different anything. I'm, I'm just give me something here. I'm dying. Well, you could, I mean, if you wrapped around the pipe that would probably be better are you just have like a set screw a set screw would be okay but i want it to be quicker than that no i'm asking if it's a set screw right now no it's a can and could it be a clamp that wraps around the pipe uh anything is possible i might have to show it to you so the thing let me, that let me make sure that we're on board so you can describe it better hold on the thing that tom is trying to describe is imagine if you have um a donut Okay, Mm. and what he did is he cut a slot in the donut, and then he put a bolt through it. So that slot is where he's able to create tension to adjust how how stiff or loose it spins. You know what I'm saying, Tanda? I think so. Um, Although Tom is is running back in with whatever it is that he's made here. I made it. Oh, so this is the bottom. Yeah. This is like the center hub, and this is the bottom, and. It's cut from uh, all the way through to the other pipe, which is like in the center of this. You can see the pipe. Yep. And the bolt going through it. Gotcha. So that is supposed to clamp down on both pipes, the you know both axis of movement, and it's it's not an it's not enough. I've got a solution for you, Tom. Yeah. Your your design is good. There's nothing wrong with how you have it set up now. The problem is you are trying to exert too much stress on too small a diameter of pipe. What you need is something that is far larger with more surface area so that there's more friction. There's not enough friction to hold that in place. It's too small. So if you were to increase that to say, what is that, a one-inch pipe? Yes. So if you were to increase that to say like a three-inch pipe, you would have much more Mm. friction 
a much wider base of control. And the exact same way you have it set up now with the cam would work and it wouldn't move. And the other thing you could do is you don't need to wrap the pipes. Um, what you could do is you could actually score them with like a, a not, not a vice, uh, what am I thinking? Um, the file. Oh, like a knurling? File. Okay. Uh, yeah, knurling would be great. You, you got the lathe, so you could knurl it. Knurling would be the preferred mm -hmm. way. I was going to say use a file, but knurling mm -hmm. would definitely give you more surface grip. It would create more friction, and so then nothing would move because it would dig in. Right now, it's too smooth, and there's not enough tension. Uh, so you're right and a little wrong for the application. Three inches would be, I understand what you're saying, three inches would be way too big for this. It needs to be smaller so that it's smaller. Uh, I'd I want to make it as small as possible because it's going to be sitting on top of my workbench. And if I use three inch pipe, the size of this, this center hub would be enormous, right? Cause you need thickness on to go around the pipe. So <clears throat> I did buy slightly larger aluminum pipe. I think one of my problems is that I happen to have, I made the prototype out of stainless because I had it. It was one inch stainless OD and stainless is super slippery. Mm -hmm. I think the slightly larger aluminum pipe, which I think it's like one and a third inches, somewhere around there. It was an odd size, but I think that will be, aluminum is way less slippery and the larger diameter, to your point, is giving the pipe surface more leverage and uh, more surface area to grip, right? And are, you're running the vacuum through the pipe, right? Through the... Not through the pipe, yes, but not through the pipe. So the pipe that goes from the, let's call it the top to the bottom. So if you put the plate, the vacuum plate facing the sky, mm -hmm. that pipe is going all the way through the block. And then the two other hinge pipes are just going into the block sideways. So as it is, the clamp that I have is only clamping on one of those hinge pipes. It's not clamping both. Right. So that would be another way that you could increase it is to clamp both sides. That'd give you more surface area with a smaller pipe. Right, but that would then, I would need to clamp it twice, right? So I would need like a cam lock on both sides, mm -hmm. which would slow down the usability quite a bit. Tom, I, I'm, I'm the one thing that is coming to my mind is steel is will bend, but aluminum will just crush and crack. It seems to me like that's that's a... I don't know how much pressure is being exerted with that cam, but that seems like a, a failure point. I think as long as you're clamping it around the aluminum, you're you're fine. You're not going to crush a exerting equal pressure around the hole because it's a heavy wall, heavy walled aluminum, right? It's not just it is a real thin like a shower. What, yeah. what is the wall thickness? Uh, to guess, over an eighth, probably over an eighth, not a quarter. I don't remember exactly. Let's call it three sixteenths, though, which is pretty thick. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's it's not like copper tube thinness, is what I'm. You know. No. No, you're right. Okay, I see what you were thinking. No, it's pretty. It's pretty robust, uh, especially the stainless. I mean, stainless is like ridiculously strong. Right. Um, now, why wouldn't you just make a? I mean, this is just kind of a a tangent, but why why wouldn't you just make a uh, a vacuum puck that could hold on to stuff? Yep. And then just use something else that's already on, you know, just clamp it in a vise or, you know, make a place where you can mount it on your bench horizontal or vertical or at a 45. Totally. Or, you know, because it, then, it, then it could be something with just like a, a bar on the back of it 
that you could clamp in a vise. And then wherever you have a vise, right. you could just clamp this in and hook up the vacuum. Yeah, so those are that's a thing. People make those. Um, people make those. What's nice about... I'm trying to mimic the Festool one as much as possible. And they didn't invent this either. There are older ones that are like lever suction. Like you pull a lever cam lock mm-hmm. and it like suctions the piece down. Um, but what's nice about this is that you can you can... Not only is the top suction to the work, but you can make the base suction to your workbench. Mm-hmm. And if you do it on the edge of your workbench, you can go 90 degrees down. So it's like hanging over the workbench and you can have two of them and two of them will hold like an entire sheet of plywood, for instance, like the suction is that strong. So the versatility is the answer to why not. Also, it raises it off your work surface a little bit nicer and allows you to spin it around. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand not all of the, like, you could modify what you're talking about to do some of that also. But it's just easy because Um, you could loosen the clamp, spin it around if you're, like, using it to hold something that you're planing or doing a hand plane or something. You could spin it around or spin it opposite, you know, direction. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I also want to ask, um, so we talked about the pipe material, but what about that center hub? What would be the ideal material to make that out of? Like, should I think about making it out of aluminum? Is aluminum stronger, more flexible? Aluminum on aluminum, is that a good idea? Are you talking about the plate? The part that rotates? No, I'm talking about that center hub that you drill all the way through twice. Oh, the thing like the T-junction that holds everything together. Right. You want to make that out of aluminum? I th- well, I mean, my immediate thought is if it's aluminum on aluminum, how good of a seal are you going to get versus aluminum on wood? Well, I think the, the seal goes through the center pipe. This is just the rotating piece. Yeah, so if you see here, the this this um vacuum hose nipple, we're going with nipple, mm-hmm. that goes all the way through this center pipe. So it's sealed into that pipe, and it comes out in this little hole in the top where the plate is. Okay, I see. Doesn't have to seal. You're just looking for something to make the to make a set of bearings, basically a set of uh, pillow block type bearings. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to process what you're saying. I think you could do it if you had a mill, Tom, and a lathe. If you had a if you had a lathe. Uh, I don't have a mill. Or if you had a working mill. No, you yeah you I only you two. only need one or or a working lathe <laughs> you know either one of those. I do technically have a working mill. No, but I mean you could probably find some trunnions that, I mean, off of some old piece of equipment or something that would that would work. Just as I mean that are made to solve that problem where it just has a central hmm. a central rod that goes through, and it's, it has a clamp built in, and you can spin the trunnion and then clamp it down with the clamp, and it's just I mean that's what they're made for that's really interesting i hadn't thought about using something like that maybe i'm not familiar with the trunnions you're talking about tanda but for tom and i i think we're thinking about bandsaw trunnions where they look like a half moon yeah is that what you're talking about yeah kind of i mean if you just have you know any kind of tool or something that has like a two-piece you know or has like a split clamp with a bearing in the middle um or two bearing surfaces and then a clamp. So you can spin the axle through the middle of it, but then you turn the 
clamp to kind of lock the split bearing down on. So what you're describing to me sounds like a bicycle seat post. Mm, kind of similar in, in concept. Yeah. Like, especially mm. like the new ones with the kind of quick lock. So that yeah. might be a, that might be a piece of like an old scrap that you could find or, or even one of the bicycle axles that have the, all the thread going through the middle and then the piece that you can tighten to lock it in place. You might be able to repurpose something like that. It's a wheel quick release. Mm. Yeah. But any of the, those kind of quick releases off of, I guess not that new, new to me, but most modern bicycles have those quick releases for the seat posts and stuff. And you could just hack a couple of those off or one of them and then find a, a central rod that fit or use the seat post as that piece. Yeah. So Tom, what you need to do is just find like an abandoned bike and just cut it up. And I'm, I'm dead serious. Just find a bike. They get thrown out all the way and abandoned all over. Matter of fact, if you have a bike shop nearby, they throw them in the dumpster when they're done with them. Actually, um, Dave Kanye. Yeah. Call up Dave. He's probably got tons of these parts lying uh, around. Elm City Vintage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Elm, Elm City Vintage. He's in... Uh... I think he's in New Haven, uh, not where he lives, but where he works. And he works at a bike shop and has tons of parts. He gave me a bunch of old wheels one time for a project that I never really did. I kind of did. Um, maybe I'll reach out to him. I got to think about that because then I could weld a T-junction with pipe coming out of the top. I wouldn't need to do the sides. Yeah, I would. Okay. That's interesting. That would be a pretty big redesign. Not in function, but in material use but would it be an improvement to your current design i think so i think so but but again you're still looking at two points of clamping where i'd need to use two different cam locks to do it well one of them might hold the other side could just be a bearing could just be a you know a hole or a bearing so only one side turns i mean x-axis and y and y-axis for spinning and rotating 90 degrees well you should have two clamps you know, as far as like you well, should have yeah, two you, points. If it's going two directions, you don't really want the stress on one one clamp for both actions. Well, Festool does it, and I think I'm better than them. So, so so on there is you release the clamp, and then both directions move, and then you. I believe it's a hand wheel mm -hmm. clamp, and it loosens everything, and you can manipulate the the workpiece while it's still vacuumed on. You can manipulate the workpiece and then tighten that back down, and it's good to go again. Why does that sound like the Naga arm thing you guys were talking about that I bought a cheap knockoff of? Yeah, very, very mm -hmm. similar concept in, not in, not in uh, physics, but in... That there's one, there's one joint. The idea of working multiple joints. Yeah. That it so then, in. so then why don't you just like attach the vacuum plate to a Naga arm and then just run a hose up to it for the vacuum <laughs> and then you're done. That's, that's that, one that'd be kind of, the Naga arms would be kind of spindly for holding a sheet of plywood. Well, they don't make them bigger. Tanda, Tanda, but Tanda, we should make a giant knockoff, <laughs> like, like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, make a big one, like a <laughs> make a Jackman like sized like version, six inch pipe. That would be awesome, dude. You're not far away from Paul Jackman. Call, call him up. Like you're putting, a, you're putting, a, dude. Um, you like strap a person onto the end of it. Yeah, you know, it's like, a Nova arm, isn't it? N O V A. No, G Nova. N O G A. I think most people say Noga, okay. Noga arm, but I don't okay. know if that's, but you could, you know, like, like, just like position somebody 
and then lock yeah. it down. Like if you're doing an action movie or something, then you could move them a little bit Giant and then just Naga. lock them in place again if you had like a human-sized Naga arm. <laughs> Dude, like, he, th- listen. That would be cool. Jackman has been making candles and vases and all these ridiculous things. He would love a challenge like this. I'm telling you, he would do it. Yeah. Just because it's something different and he could do it. And then you, you just tell him, look, look yeah. man, I need two. And can you get them to me by Friday? It would be so big. Yeah, but it would be even bigger than what you need. It would be like big enough that you could like put your workbench on it and just position your whole workbench where you... Right, right. Which is exactly <laughs> the size you want it to be. I really like the idea of this. It reminds me of like a robot arm, but it's manual. All right, so so that that's your solution. You have Paul Jackman do it. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. I'll get right on the phone. Was there a solution? I'm not sure. All right, boys and girls, it's time for short and sweet. Tanda, you seem eager to give us some closing remarks. Oh, I was just going to, to mention that, the, you know, kind of a funny thing happened last week. I was making a vacuum table, and my mind was so fixed on the use of this vacuum chuck for something I'm doing at the day job to hold something that's completely separate from machining, these like fragile little parts. And I was I was lamenting that it would be nice to have like some vacuum work holding on my table. And and then someone pointed out, uh, like, are you making a vacuum chuck? And I was like, yeah, I'm, and then, and then it kind of hit me. I was like, oh yeah, I could like just make vacuum work holding for my mill. And why I didn't think of that while I'm making vacuum work holding for something at work was really odd. I, I, I think I lost something in translation there, Tanda. It sounded like you just said vacuum like 800 times and then you... You can just cut that. You can just cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Tom, do you have anything to close the show that makes sense? That's a... I do. I do. Uh, I bought. I bought. <laughs> bear with me. The guy. The guy I bought the lathe. The second lathe from recently for like two hundred and eighty bucks. Um, he. I didn't tell you this yet. He was like the East Coast Tanda. I went to his <laughs> shop. I'm not kidding. You're gonna be like East Coast. You're Tanda. like. Are you sure you didn't meet Tanda? Because. <laughs> um. Sounds like an '80s band. He's like a professional maker, like, and um, but not like he wouldn't call himself that. He just makes stuff, but he's like working on escape room tech. So he does a little coding, a little making, a little, um, you know, organizing switches and electronics things together to make things work. But he makes these random weird things that like that's really weird because that's like the market for this stuff I'm working on right now is is escape rooms. Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I'm telling you. So I, I struck up a conversation with him. We got along really well. And I was like, I asked him for work. I was like, hey, listen, I I don't know what you really do all the time or what you need, but I make things and I like to make things once. So if you have something that you need made <laughs> once, I would love to make it for you. <laughs> like, and, and he actually responded with like, he's like, you know, I, I just, I don't have anybody to do that with. Like... If I need a piece of wood with three holes drilled in it, there's nobody I can ask to do that. Like he was just giving a really silly example. And he just, I'm bringing this up now because he just sent me an email outlining a project that he's working on. And uh, maybe we'll make something. I don't know. 
I, I think that's Pretty an cool, interesting though. market because it is very much, um, it's kind of like prop building, kind of like practical prop building for the escape rooms. Yeah. But that, but they need, um, you know, some variety and it is kind of a make it once people bore of that story or that particular scenario. And then you get to make something right. else, you know, that's kind of creative and fun and functional once. And so it's right. a, it's an interesting market. The stuff I'm making is to kind of be like a software automation back end for it. So you can, you can have different, like a different story and you can have uh-huh. a room full of instruments and dials and, and various stuff. And then you can just change the program and they respond differently. So you can change the story for the escape room and then the dial Mm -hmm. becomes something else. It does something different. And the push button controls something else in the room that it didn't control for the story the day before. Yeah. That's really cool. That's cool. So I'm excited about that. PJ, you got anything for short and sweet? Yeah, um, apparently I am now known as the bandsaw guy um, because I have so many bandsaws. And I was in Clubhouse today listening while a bunch of other people were talking. And someone goes, I need a bandsaw. Dump, 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 dump. And then somebody says, you should talk to PJ. And I, so then I had to unmute myself and I'm like, what do you need? He goes, I need a 14-inch bandsaw. I said, all right, I've got some. The short version of this is, he basically wants both of the deltas that I have, the 1930s one and the 1940s one, unrestored. I'm shipping them, well, getting ready to ship them to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, no money has changed hands yet, um, but we have agreed on pricing. And uh, he, we're, apparently I'm just going to drop these off at Fastenal. I've, I've never used them to ship anything before, but it has to be on a pallet. So I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm trying to like organize like how I'm going to do that. Like I'm probably gonna have to bring them there in the truck and then pallet them in like the parking lot. So that's, um, that's a thing that happened today. Just, just happened like hours ago. So that's awesome. I had never heard that Fastenal shipped store to store until like last, I guess it was been two years ago now at the Good of the Land Fest. And I was there with somebody that bought something, uh, Marsh bought something, um, and uh, was like, oh, if I don't make it, you know, out your way at some point, you can just ship it via Fastenal. And I'm like, Fastenal? Fastenal is like a fastener store. It's not like a shipping company. But, yeah, apparently they do that. Who knew? Yeah. I'd be interested in what that costs you. Hopefully it goes through. I'm really annoyed at our local Fastenal. They're open for two hours a day now. And you have to really? order online and then go pick it up between 7 in the morning and 9. Otherwise, they're closed. That's that's some weird business hours right there. That's yeah, really really weird and annoying when you show up there at like ten thirty, needing you know a few screws, and the doors open and you walk in, and then they tell you, oh we're we're not we're only open seven to nine for people to like walk in and buy things. I'm like, really? It sounds like somebody ticked them off, and they're just like, you know, oh really? That's how you're gonna behave? Well, how about this? We're only open two hours. How about that, buddy? Yeah. Yeah, you got to get up early if you want to get in here and mess with us. That's right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter, on Instagram and YouTube. 
You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. It's time for a helping hand, where one person tells a true story and the others don't. Alright, so scouring my memory banks for a story that's worthy of a helping hand, it brings me back to my many trips to the Cannes Film Festival when I was working primarily in the film and television industry. And while many people don't know this, I was dating a princess, and she was known at the Cannes Festival as the princess. People knew her as that more than they knew her by her name. But being the film industry, um, it was not, let's say, a good idea for other people in the industry to know that we were dating. So I was there. I was there as a in a professional capacity. I was actually the the troubleshooter. Um, we we did a number of things at the festival. Uh, business-wise, and I was there to make sure everything went smoothly. However, in many ways, um, I was also there to protect the princess from, let's say, interested parties. Was it was one of those things, I, I can't re- quite remember, PJ, but you were doing, one of the things was concessions, right? Were you doing funnel cakes, or was it something along the lines of funnel cakes? I can't remember. The baguettes. No, we, we sold um, ah, baguettes. you're doing the baguette, right. Yeah. All right, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, it's in, it's in France. They don't have funnel cake there. They have baguettes, yeah, which is for sure. You know. Of course, uh, my favorite was um, was a was a baguette à poulet, which is a chicken sandwich. So that was what I always hmm. used to order. Um, but anyway, not, now I'm geez, now I'm hungry, Tom. Um, sorry. So we happen to be um, the part of going to the Cannes Festival is you go to events. And uh, you meet meet people and you network, and we happen to go to this. Uh, each of the countries typically will have that's represented there will have their own party. They'll have like a premiere film film that's there, and then after the film shows at the festival, you go to the party that night if you have an invitation. We went to the India party, and there was a lot of big time India producers there. No. And when I say, yeah, Tanda. No. I, th- I think I remember you telling me this when we, uh, when we first met. And uh, what did you do with the cat? You, you, this was the, where you took the cat with you in your luggage. When you're like at, at these parties, is it just at the hotel, or did you carry it on your body? Or we had to leave it behind. They they won't allow animals into the parties. They're very strict. The mm-hmm. security is very very high. As a matter of fact, you can't get in without a badge and an invitation. So um, we didn't have very French of them. We, we didn't have a separate invitation for the cat, so we had to leave it back at the hotel. So there's this bobcat just like hanging out in the hotel room. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say hanging out. It was it was you know our attack cat. It was there to protect the luggage from people trying to break in to you know. And actually, we weren't at a hotel. We were at a Airbnb. So ah, well, listen. If I know anything about princesses, though, they always have a pet sidekick. So. The cat must have snuck in. Yeah, I don't know how to say this, Tom, but the the, the security is is very high. They they don't you can't. If the cat had snuck in, it, it would have been shot 
and uh, that would have upset the princess. So we made sure that the cat couldn't escape. It was it was it was Perfect. it was back at the. I think this year we actually had rented a villa. Uh, it was a very large villa, like a six or seven bedroom. It was, it was nice. It was very very nice. It had some uh, historic. Uh, I can't remember. The guy that had founded the town, I think this was originally one of his houses, if I'm not mistaken. He was some kind of a a general in the army or something. So couldn't you just like pose as security and then you'd be just like everything would be cleared because you are security? Uh, Well, it's funny you should say that. I I was sort of acting as security for the princess. Uh, Let me me get to that. So – as I said, no one knew that we were dating. Everywhere she went, I went to, to escort her. And um, this particular event, there was a producer from India that had, I don't know, he'd, he'd done hundreds and hundreds of movies. The guy had, he had access to millions and millions of dollars. Like this was a big time producer. And he had taken a liking to the princess and um, pretty much followed us out of the party. Um, but he was like half drunk. And so um, he bas- basically like he was he was personally interested in her. And this is the fine line you have to walk when you're in a professional sort of environment, but drinks are involved. Uh, luckily, I don't drink at all, so I didn't have any problems. But this guy... Well, and you were security, so you shouldn't be drinking. Well, well yeah, that's or- true. So this this guy, um, he he was... He was basically like not understanding why I was there, so I had to I had to step in and tell him that I was the private security for the princess, and that um, we had basically secret service positioned in all the buildings all around us, at every corner to track her progress to make sure that no one was trying to take advantage of her because she was having a a minimal security detail, and. This guy totally bought it, like from the get-go, that there were like snipers on buildings tracking as we were walking down the corset, which the the corset is the main strip in Cannes. It's right on the beach where like all the big hotels are and all the events and parties happen. So everybody is there, like in in this road. Um, it's it's very so. In other words, like the thing I was telling him was entirely plausible. There there are like high-profile people there. So, so like this guy is just drunk enough and I'm just serious enough that he believes there are like royal secret service agents tracking us walking down the street um, to the <laughs> to the point where um, her her grandfather called her phone just to say hi. And she she handed it to me and said, it's the head of security. <laughs> so I get on the phone with her grandfather and I'm and I and I'm basically like, Yes, sir. A- absolutely, sir. Yes, yes, I'm very aware of that, sir. Yes. And I and I just kept I kept like I kept answering his questions, but I made it sound like I was like answering security questions. And the guy is is like he's staring at me on the phone, on the cell phone, talking to her grandfather. And then um, I, I hang up and I hand her back the phone and then I like put my finger to my ear and I'm speaking into my cuff and I'm like, All right. The Falcon is moving, you know, <laughs> and she's, she's, you know, so then we start walking again. He's now he's looking all over the place. Like he's starting to freak out and he's like, um, uh, m- maybe I go, uh, to my hotel. Yes. 
Um, now, now he wasn't drunk enough to say, you know. Now, you, you realize we've got a we've got a live bobcat back at the villa, so don't make any funny moves. Well, we didn't want him coming back to the villa. That was the thing, because you know, he, he, I don't think the bobcat would have phased him at that point. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that was the thing, you know. That's uh, and I, of course, I should point out, I was dressed in a tuxedo. So we, we, she was in like, you know, like an evening gown. I was in a tuxedo with a bow tie and everything. So it was all like, I was dressed for the occasion. And I'm, a, you know, I'm a tall, thin you, guy. You were basically 007. Maybe like 003 and a half, uh, something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, but, um, but yeah, uh, I pulled it or off. Or something metric because you were in France. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember my French numbers. I, I often go to, uh, you know, big celebrity events like the Academy Awards and the Oscars, but because I don't want anybody to know that I'm I'm with a celebrity, I, I, I you know, we we keep it on the down low, so much so that I pretty much just stay here at my shop, and and just watch on TV as as security. But, that's uh, that's pretty minimal. Yeah, pretty minimal yeah. uh, cross section there. Yeah, Candace. much more minimal than actually going and and being right there. So, and I've never made it out to the Hollywood events. They're they're a little more. Um, tricky let's say to get into um but i did get an invitation once to one of them it wasn't the academy awards but it was something um what the heck was it i can't remember the name of it but it was it was like the golden globes but i think that's television so it, it wasn't that mm. we, we had an invitation to go out for something um but we, we didn't make it yeah. I'm, I'm so discreet actually to, to be honest i don't even watch it on tv because i don't want anybody to find out me either. I don't want anybody yeah. to find out. Yeah. That story sounded so nice. I want to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs>